This is Dead Stick Radio, episode 13, recorded live on Thursday, June 4th, 2020. ADSB Privacy and Fighter Pilots. Canadian, the best kind. Uh, we thought he would be a good um, a guest on the podcast today because he recently converted his rocket. Is it F1 rocket or Harman rocket? It's uh, an F1 rocket. Yeah, so he he converted the panel and modernized it significantly, uh, including installing ADSB uh, what G3X. I think you put in it a bunch of other equipment. Yeah, so I got uh, I I had an old Dynon D10, uh, which is like a a small attitude uh, indicator, um, EFIS, which was great. But uh, after last year, almost getting stuck a couple times at uh, places I wanted to. Uh, do an upgrade IFR. So we put a dual Garmin G3X panel. Uh, they're all touchscreen. And then I put, because of Canadian rules, we need to have dual independent navigation. So I put a VORLS with COM and I put a, a Garmin a GNX375, which the new um, the new navigator, it's a GPS uh, LPV WAS capable. And it's got a ADSB mode S uh, transponder all in one box. And then I added uh, another radio just because I, I do some formation work and you typically need two radios for that. And after that, just added some uh, Gucci equipment like uh, autopilot and uh, engine monitoring instrument just to be a little bit more up to date. So it was an extensive uh, job and it's a shop out of Chilliwack that did it and they did like a fabulous work. With it. So there's a lot of new gear, and I know that you and I had that discussion. And uh, even as an experienced pilot, you know, and I'm used to flying aircraft that have some quite advanced systems with radar and sensors and and, and weaponry, and you know, you're flying in formation. Uh, the new kit is actually uh, what we call in the military a drool cup. You know, it gets your eyes inside the cockpit, and and uh, you forget sometimes. Uh, where where you need to focus and uh with my experience i i can say i'm i keep telling myself to look outside but for new pilots i would caution them sometimes that those brand new gear can uh definitely bring your focus at the wrong location well let, let's back up for anybody listening and explain to them kind of the backstory behind our conversation previously so we've had there have been several conversations uh, many of them online uh, especially in the alberta area it seems where people have had near misses. Um, they're losing their situational awareness. Uh, they're not looking outside as much as they should be, uh, you know, making the V and VFR. And we're seeing things like uh, overcomplicated airspace and more complicated airspace um, being made to try and solve some of these, these near miss midairs. Uh, so when Eric upgraded his panel, uh, we were having a conversation over what that meant and how that affected his uh, ability to fly, whether it increased his SA or decreased it. Uh, so that's kind of the background behind this, and it seems to be fairly contentious out there right now. Yeah, I mean, I guess some of us were lucky that when we started flying, we started flying with some very, very basic equipment. I started flying with a glider, so really I had a little string in front of me telling me what was the ball doing, you know? Right. And, and I didn't have engine to worry about. Everything was, you know, some sort of feeling in the controls, how the uh, 
the lift is affecting my aircraft and speed and wind noise and and then I eventually you know moved on to uh, to bigger and better aircraft. Um, we talked about situation awareness and the problem is that you know sometimes the gear that you add in your cockpit doesn't always increase your situation awareness. Uh, situation awareness really it's like it's 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 knowing what just went on to be able to to see what's going on right now to be able to predict what's gonna go on next and uh, often i think what i find and i've seen that in, in a lot of new pilots um their focus is is inside the cockpit and they forget to uh to pay attention you know you say the v and the vfr um and it's true the vfr kit- is visual flight rules for anybody who's not a pilot it's, yes. it's flying with reference to the ground and uh, navigational points on the ground, that kind of thing. So uh, when you're flying IFR and you're flying it, you know, by strictly by the reference of the instruments, it's, it's great because, I mean, the kit is all in front of you. But VFR, you know, you kind of cross-check the instrumentation inside your cockpit to be able to um, to, to fly effectively, but... But you don't want to forget to look outside, you know. And I think a lot of people stay so much inside the cockpit. And we've had some midair collision of people like flying basically, you know, same altitude, almost the same direction, hitting each other. And that's because people are not looking outside. Um, so I, as an experienced pilot, I do find that even with my level of experience, I do tend to have my attention diverted to looking inside the cockpit. So I have to really focus on on uh, on paying attention to what's going on out there. Right. So would you say then at a basic level, the difference between VFR visual flight rules and IFR instrument flight rules is essentially giving up some freedom uh, to be allowed to safely fly inside clouds and in weather conditions that are not conducive to VFR, which is flying outside by looking outside. I, I'm not sure what you mean by by letting go some freedom, because honestly, I, it also increases my freedom if I can fly through clouds and go places. But uh, well, it's straight line. You're flying flight planned uh, in uh, with ATC, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's more regimented. It's right, that's maybe a better word. Regulated and. And it's it's a little bit of a teamwork exercise versus you flying on your own. Yep. You have the air traffic controller. You have uh, you know your equipment. You have yourself versus just you know a man and machine. It's, it's a little bit more involved and definitely it's very very procedural. So if if everybody follows the same procedure, it's quite safe. And you got a lot of people out there involved. You know the different control center. Um, I'm not sure I would say that it removes some of that, that freedom. It's just a very different type of flying uh, that, you know, if we're visually flying out there, it's the, um, the sensor exposure is very different. You know, I, I look at the ground, I'm getting closer to the ground versus the other one is all based on my instrument, my instruments. Right. So what you did is you, you upgraded your panel, uh, to, to give yourself more equipment to allow you to fly instrument flight rules. But what you're finding is the added information in the cockpit is sucking your eyes in. Yeah, I would not disagree with that. It, uh, it definitely brings my attention. Uh, like I said, uh, sometimes on, on the F-18, uh, we have our students, we, we call that the drool cup, you know, because the guys are just, 
just there looking at the equipment and not paying attention to what goes on on the other, either the other sensors or or outside. And um, definitely, the more equipment you put in, the more finger poking you got to go in. Even just a simple radio, where if it's a one that's a tactile radio where there's a knob and you're rotating the knob that's why for me my main radio i wanted to have one that has a switch where i could rotate and feel because if i'm flying formation i can change those and without paying too much attention on the inside of the radio kind of do a couple click look do a couple click and there we are when you're actually touching digital display you have to spend a lot more attention to that display and where you're putting your finger so your attention is actually more in a cockpit um to operate the system exactly but even the instrumentation uh, you know coming from having a standard six pack um or even flying the uh you know the f-18 with the uh, the head-up display the new instrumentation uh with the strips offer you a, an amazing amount of information, but sometimes it's almost too much information that now it it uh, detracts you from where to look. If I look at a VSI and the VSI is like this, I know I'm climbing. If I know I'm, I'm looking at VSI and go, it's going down, I know I'm going down. The new displays have more analysis required, you know, because they're not as graphical uh, unless you put in a, you know, you can change the G3X into a six-pack. Um, but it's just a, a different presentation of the information and you kind of have to get used to it. I know I feel yeah, that like makes it's kind of the same, same thing on, on my plane. My plane's, uh, it's just got those standard steam gauges. You get a real feel where that gauge is. You know, what's over here, I'm close to stalling. It's over here, I'm close to overheating. I can quickly glance over without having to think much. Whereas on a digital display, I don't have a lot of experience flying uh, digital, like, thousands or anything. But uh, just looking over at those, it's a lot more to kind of read and go, okay, now I have to think about that number I just saw or to just about the spatial awareness. The yeah, I mean, it's just like purely looking at a clock. You know the two needles are up. It's, you know, either midnight or 12 o'clock versus looking at numbers and analyzing those numbers. Now, the... The younger generation are born with those digital displays, so their brain is more adaptable. But the the older folks, uh, you don't have to uh, to readapt to the newer technology, I guess. So between your military displays, your G3X, and your steam gauge background, uh, for a new pilot, what would you recommend for learning? Would you recommend the steam gauges or the new style digital displays? Oh, that's going to be a, that's a big debate. And I've had that debate uh, many times. I, I wish just, this is just my philosophy on this. I wish that if you started flying that the first 10, 20 hours, there was no digital display. That's just me. Um, just because I want the attention to the pilot to be learning about attitudes and, and uh, outside references. I know that if my nose is pointing down, I'm gonna start to accelerate, I'm gonna lose altitude. And having those references based on all these different aircraft, I've flown lots of different aircraft, and every time I go to a new aircraft, when I'm sitting in the front seat, before I take off, I look around the cockpit. I go, okay, the horizon right now, in this particular attitude, when I'm in the ground, is cutting, you know, the canopy at this location, or 
as I'm climbing and I start, have a certain speed, I will look at where the propeller cone is reference the horizon. Maybe there's like two fingers between the horizon and the, and the nose, you know? So yes. those are, you want the pilot to start learning about attitude flying versus continuously cross-checking the instrument to get that. Because if you don't give him that foundation, that's my philosophy. If you don't give him that foundation initially to look outside, um, it's going to be very difficult, you know, doing it later. You know, we've all, you've probably heard about it, the, the law of primacy. The first thing you learn is critical, you know, and it's, uh, it's important that you teach that person that, that very basic foundation to look outside and, and learn these references. Yeah, I found that too. When I was, when I was doing my private license way back when, uh, my instructor, we had some time to kill to get to that, uh, the minimum hour requirement. And, uh, so he decided to cover up all of the instruments on me and then have me land like that. Uh, so that really taught me and my brain how to use, how to fly the airplane, not just fly the instruments I found. If yeah. That makes and, sense. And, and you know, it's, it's funny you say that, uh, because I just changed all my airspeed to knots <laughs> and I, because I used to fly all in miles per hour. So when I picked up the airplane, the avionics guy had changed everything to knots. And but honestly, because I'm so used to flying my airplane, I'm just looking outside. I have a certain line of sight, things the way they're moving, how fast they're moving. I look down, I'm exactly at the speed I should be. So typically I would fly my airplane at about 100 miles an hour coming in for the approach. I look down, I got 85 knots. I'm like so that that's where that foundation is critical when you know you know how things are moving uh and we teach that on uh with our f-18 pilots because there's so much magic in front of you that sometimes when the guys go from flying a normal airplane to flying the f-18 they get caught up to just looking at the head of display the velocity vector and all the magic around it and they forget how things are moving very fast towards you so maybe you should raise the nose up and flare a bit. Um, you know, the outside references are critical, especially on takeoff and landing. Yeah, I find too, when I'm, when I end up in a sticky situation or in a situation where I get really busy in the cockpit, somebody cut me off on approach, I don't know, something like that. And I have to make some, uh, some urgent corrections or maneuvering. It can all happen without ever looking in the cockpit and I'll never have a problem with airspeed or anything because I know my airplane so well. Yeah. So it seems like the same idea. So, but I agree. I mean, like also when I, when I started flying, uh, we used to have these little soap cups, you know, with these little uh, suction cup in the back. And uh, my instructor would just hide different instrument once, you know, one at a time. And uh, I started losing, you know, the instruments or going partial panel. And basically you had to rely more and more looking outside uh, and, and picking up the different cues out there. Yep. I, I think, it, it would not be a bad idea for pilots to learn on the very basic, but ultimately also we have to embrace the new technology. And there's a lot of new te technology out there that's that that makes our job a lot easier. I mean, I'm, I'm flight planning on an iPad. I go to my airplane and I just ship everything to my GPS and never, I never touch the button. Um, I, I can't say that that's a bad thing. Uh, there's a lot of, really good kit like my kit right now if i got a traffic coming in it will tell me traffic you know it tells me minimum it tells me overshoot like you know it, it helps me a lot 
Um, so I think you have to embrace the new technology. And I, I know we've had a couple of debates on uh, on some of the, the forms there with the, the 406 ELT versus the 12150, uh, the ADSB. Um, but I mean, I just picked up the plane and I could not believe the traffic I was seeing on my ADSB, which those were beyond visual range. Uh, and I'm like, oh, there's a traffic at this location, you know, one o'clock, 12 miles. Yeah. Uh, I, let, let's talk about that right now, because that's a good one. So are, are, do you, are you familiar with how the ADSB systems work? I'm I'm yeah. less familiar. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm familiar. You know, we got a we got a ground-based uh, uh, system and a satellite-based system. The, the U.S. decided to do the uh, uh, the uh, the ground-based station, uh, the UAT, the the nine seventy-eight, especially for the general aviation to get them on board um, and making it cheap for them to basically have. Think of it as a uh, XM weather-like system where you got weather, you got uh, FISB, but you got, you got also traffic available. So that's why they came up with the system uh, to entice the general aviation to get on board. The civilian industry was going to get on board one way or the other. Now, can, can we back up for a minute? So what does yeah. ADSB stand for, for the people out there that are unfamiliar? New pilots, that kind of thing. Oh, now you just caught me by... Uh, uh, is it automatic uh, dependent yeah, automatic broadcast yeah, yeah, automatic dependent surveillance with broadcast so there's another hey. version of it ads ads v uh, but yeah broadcast is the is the big one everyone uh that's in everyone's planes now right so what it does is it's kind of like a like a modern transponder that broadcasts your location and aircraft information to anybody that wants to look at it including uh online websites that's correct yeah Did I get that right could yeah, be anyone, but it, but the important people are say you. You can see other Cessnas or whatever. Yeah, I think there's a little bit more involved in there too. There's 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 a uh, a portion where you can get weather and and different kind of information. Uh, then there's just traffic. There's there's FISB and there's TISB, uh, which are traffic or or basically uh, um, forecast based uh, information that can be sent to you. Uh, in Canada, we're looking more of uh, the the traffic. Uh, information being the main issue right um so right now my kit for me has has the dual link so i got both 978 and uh and 1090 um so what i saw i didn't see any weather when i was flying canada i don't think i'm going to see that uh for the foreseeable future but when i go to the states i anticipate i'll be able to see that right brian is that called diversity uh, well, yes. Yeah, so the diversity antennas uh, are the the dual antennas, one for the ground stations and one for the sky stations. The reality is both those antennas can pretty much receive both of them. It's just it gets a better coverage with that. But yeah, the the weather information that's uh, available via the broadcast stations in the states. So if you're really close to the border or in kind of southern Ontario, you'll actually get weather information. But up up where we are, up in northern kind of middle northern Alberta, or, or where you are in, in really northern Alberta up there. Uh, you don't get uh, any of that information. It's not broadcast from those ground stations, so we can't get that information. And unfortunately, uh, one of the one of the one of the glitches with uh, ForeFlight is that, uh, which is what I use. I have an ADSB receiver. I don't have any ADSB out, but with the ADSB receiver, if you connect to that, 
it then disables uh, internet weather. So uh, it's either I get traffic information or I get weather information, but not both at the same time, which is uh, kind of frustrating on uh, on the ForeFlight side of things. Right. So the the law right now in the U.S. requires uh, ADSB. It's mandated uh, inside of what twenty five or fifty nautical miles of Bravo airspace or something. Do you know the rule, Eric? Yeah, there's a there's a couple of different ones, but uh, anything that's over ten thousand feet right now. So if you're within two thousand right. feet of the ground, so let's say you're close to the mountains, you're 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 somewhat uh, protected by that. Anything that's over ten thousand. And then within pretty much any of the controlled airspace, otherwise you're you're going to need that. Uh, there's there's some pretty good sites out there with some information. Um, outside of that, you don't need really the ADSB. So right. I can and then, almost go from here all the way to Portland without requiring ADSB. Right, and then I think there's also a, a rule exempting aircraft without an electrical system from flying inside some of those ADSB zones. Yeah, I'm I'm not positive, and I'm not sure how long that's going to stay like that too. But yeah, I agree. And then in Canada, there there is no requirement for ADSB in controlled zones yet, although well, it's yeah, likely coming. They just it, uh, coming, didn't though. didn't they just uh, they either announced it or just implemented it. We're above eighteen thousand. You're requiring it, and then shortly it's going to be above twelve thousand. You're going to be required to have that ADSB, and it's going to yeah. be the diversity. Sure. And then there's talk about it being in lower space in the future, but they haven't set any kind of dates or any kind of parameters on. So according to what I saw on NAV Canada, basically in February, 2022, sorry, 2021, which is really uh, less than a year from now, anything that's in class A or over 18,000 feet, you're going to need the uh, ADSB. And then um, in January, February of 2022, it's going to be anything that's over 12,500. So more or less uh, class B airspace. Yeah. Because I think they would have a difficult time to enforce, you know, uh, (laughs) uncontrolled airspace over 12,500, just like uh, up north, for instance, um, unless they make it mandatory everywhere over 12,500. And then in 2023, that's when the general general aviation may be uh, uh, targeted to start getting it. Right, for control zones and that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. That's according to to NAP Canada. Right. So the downside of that is all those farmers and so on out there with basic Piper Cubs, basic airplanes like that, need to pay for uh, an install of a new electronic device, including antenna, which... Uh, it could be more straightforward, but it could also be worse, I guess. So, so let's just um, clarify one thing for a uh, few people listening. There's ADSB out and there's ADSB in. Right. The mandatory is ADSB out. They need you to mandatory broadcast where you are, where you're going, and they who you are. Care. They don't care if you see anybody else. They just want you to broadcast your location. So my kit has ADSB in and out and on a dual link. So I can technically, I should be able to see pretty much everybody uh, that is within that airspace. Um, so there's a couple of different systems out there available. You know, you can, there's even a company out of uh, Montana in Kalispell, Montana, uh, UAvionics. 
it's it's a very simple system and now they just came out with a dual link which will also de- do the 978 the UAT and it will do the 1090 megahertz and uh, it it's basically you take your tail light out of your uh, cassette and you replace it with that yeah, uh, I don't have any lights now, <laughs> you don't have that lights <laughs> So the only thing, though, is is at that point that that system is attached to your nav light. So if you turn off your nav lights, then you've just turned off. You've just gone incognito in your ADSB. Um, but they, they, they're, the system is meant also for general aviation aircraft like a, a uh, you know a, a Cessna 172, a Piper uh archer or, or something like that the very simple thing and it's minutes to re, to uh to install it and it's all bluetooth you you do it all with your phone uh so there is no receiver or uh equipment required to install in the panel nope. that's probably an additional feature if you want it yeah that is, that is only if you want the adsb in now if you want the adsb in there's a couple different uh um options also out there which is uh well he's got so that's the that's the stratex is it yep the stratex with the x i also have the stratus or stratus 2 and then there's yeah. also the uh the other big one is the um i can't even remember the name of it now it's much the smaller GDL. yeah so the the stratex is the knockoff version of the stratus and that will give you the the was requirement and uh, it uh, it receives all the ADSB in information, uh, which will give you the traffic. And I suspect that you have that right onto your iPad. Yeah, it comes right into ForeFlight. That's pretty slick for just that box. And I think I, I correct me if I'm wrong. That that little unit is something like two hundred twenty bucks, two hundred thirty bucks, and you can buy it on Spruce and. Yeah, they're, so uh, these ones are really, really cheap. They're they're based on the Raspberry Pi, which is a little microcomputer uh, that you can buy uh, and do a lot of little microcomputer type of things. Uh, but the Stratix and the uh, and uh, the GDL and the the other one as well, those ones are a lot more fully integrated systems where they have battery packs in them. They're a lot more solid and reliable. Whereas this one's a little bit more kind of kind of janky, I guess. So Eric, you put. You put the Garmin-based ADS-B in in your airplane, right? Yeah. That plugs into G3X. Uh, yeah. So it's a it's a one unit. That's a it's a Garmin 375. So it's a WAS uh, GPS LPV capable uh, of doing IFR approaches and so on. And the unit also has instead of being a NAVCOM, it's a NAV transponder. So it's got an ADS-B transponder in it. That's slick. <laughs> So and yeah, it it just feeds the information through my uh, G3X touch display. So if I go to the traffic page, I can see the traffic, and there's different kind of nomenclature of of what the traffic is. Either a ground based traffic, a traffic that's within a certain uh, altitude, the distance uh, of your location, a little bit like a TCAS, a uh, terminal collision uh, avoidance uh, system. Yep. Um, it'll tell you, uh, it'll change the different colors when there is a traffic advisory or there's now a, it requires you to do a certain maneuver to avoid the traffic, uh, like a resolution advisory. 
so the system is capable of, of, of seeing the vector and giving you more warning about it. Do you find, now that you used it a bit, do you find that you find yourself uh, relying on the ADSB in for traffic avoidance? Are you, uh, um, are you no. reducing your visual lookout at all, or do you still feel like it, it's more of a help than a hindrance? No, at this time, I would say it's definitely uh, more help uh, than hindrance, that's for sure. I think the rest of the kit is, is uh, bringing up my attention. But uh, as ATC, I, I just went by Edmonton uh, last weekend, and as uh, the uh, Edmonton uh, terminal was telling me where the traffic was, it was right displayed there. So it was, it was beyond my visual range at that point, uh, but it... It did give me a good comfort that, uh, you know, I had it on my display. It was exactly where he uh, he called it out. And and then I, I wasn't concerned. Um, it, I, I still continue looking outside, but I, I definitely think it's a good piece of gear to have. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I've flown with a couple of people, though, that seem to rely on the ADSB in for traffic avoidance. Uh, and, and they start sacrificing some of their lookout, which is probably back to that whole drool cup that you were talking about earlier. Um, is that something that you can see happening frequently? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things in the cockpit right now, just like driving that are bringing your attention in instead of uh, outside. And, uh, and honestly, I, I, I may say I may have been guilty to maybe, you know, changing some music on my phone or, or you know, looking inside the cockpit at something on the iPad. You know, even just the iPad with the ForeFlight is another sensor that you're adding within the cockpit environment that's adding to the additional, you know, time away from looking outside. So you got the iPad, you got a different display, you got the different radios, you got potentially your phone that you're trying to get music. Yep. So it's, it's just, uh, you know, people have to just pay attention. And also when people are looking out, uh, a lot of people haven't really learned properly how to do a lookout because the eye doesn't catch when you go very quickly and do a lookout. You know, you're supposed to scan the skies fairly quickly. You can't just look left to right quickly uh, and expect that you're going to see everything, uh, especially the, the, the more concerning target is the one that's not moving. Because right. the target that's not moving is the hardest one to pick up, and it's the most dangerous one because you're going to be colliding with it. So you're the, you're the professional dogfighter here. What do, you, what do you train or teach your students in the jets uh, for lookout and traffic avoidance? Is there a procedure that you use or a technique? Hi, you know, I... I would say that overall, when I do my lookout, I don't do a lookout for more than 30 degrees. So when I say 30 degrees, so I'll do my, my lookout, you know, from 12 to one o'clock, then I'll go one o'clock to two o'clock and then so on. I, with the rocket, I don't tend to be too concerned of people on my three o'clock to nine o'clock because I'm going fairly quick that they're going to be behind me fairly, fairly schnell. Yeah. Um, but I don't do a broad lookout very quickly. I kind of look at the sky and I, I start far and I start walking my eyes towards me. So I kind of bounce between, let's say, the 12 to the 1 o'clock, kind of bounce my eyes and I bring my eyes closer to my airplane. And then I do the exact same thing from the 1 o'clock to the 2 o'clock position. 
and I kind of bounce my eyes between the 30 degrees to 60 degrees as I get closer. If you just broad, broad brush, I guess, your, your lookout, uh, you're going to miss a lot of things. Um, and for us, especially in our line of, of work, uh, you can't fight what you can't see. And uh, if you lose sight, you lose the fight. So we need to make sure we stay visual at all time with visual or tally um, uh, with the target. Right. Yeah, I find all of the near misses I've had uh, when it comes to near miss midairs come from the airplanes right on the horizon. And I find that that contrast between light and dark uh, makes airplanes hide really well. And the smaller the airplane, the harder to see, especially when they're pointed right at you. Yeah, for sure. If the needle knows you, you you got less aspect and it's going to be more difficult to see. Yeah, I know uh, in my little tiny racing airplane, uh, we find that rocking the wings, if if uh, ATC is, is asking another airplane if they have visual on you, uh, we find rocking the wings can help with that uh, awareness and it kind of shows our profile better to the airplanes looking for us. Yeah, no, I, re- I would agree with that. Yeah, instead of the head on. I had a, I actually had a couple incidents uh, here when I was doing my, when I just after I bought my plane, uh, the first one, we were flying around uh, Lake Muskoka, uh, where there's a lot of other float planes that fly around up there, uh, bringing people out to their their cabins and whatnot. And sure enough, uh, both me and my instructor were doing our lookouts there, and he didn't see a plane. I did, and uh, he was coming right at us, and they wasn't moving, and, and you know, they weren't on the radio, no one was talking, and uh, we kind of reasonably narrowly missed them just because we, we climbed out of there. But uh, that could have ended up uh, fairly badly. Uh, we would have seen them had we had ADSB on on us or or on them, um, at least. Or if we both had ADSB. On uh, another instance, coming back from uh, all the way from Ontario, we were flying back, or I was flying back myself, and uh, I had my I had four flight up and running. I had ADSB coming in, and suddenly I saw a little ping ahead of me saying, "There's a plane coming straight at me, uh, two three thousand feet below me, uh, ascending." And I couldn't, couldn't, you know, obviously I couldn't see them where they were. I would never have seen them if they were just flying straight at me. Um, and they were on a different radio frequency. They were actually taking off from an airport uh, straight ahead. So uh, because of that, I was able to, through four flight, just tap on it and, you know, figure out what the radio frequency was, call them up. And sure enough, they were, they were taking off coming in my direction, moved out of the way. And if I hadn't moved out of the way, they flew effectively ascending right through where I was, where I would have been flying through. And that would have definitely been a a very close call, but because I saw them, I was able to move out of the way and stay out of there. So to me as a collision avoidance system, you know, it's, you can be looking out as much as you want, but the reality is having that extra information is, is enough to, to uh, potentially uh, prevent some certain conflicts. Yeah, I agree with that. that, uh, your eyesight can only see so much. And, uh, you know, you got some good examples there. I was in a place uh, last summer. I went camping with my airplane on the uh, Oregon Gorge. And uh, it was a little tiny airport called Cascade Locks. So I take off and I'm I'm broadcasting in my radio. And as I'm turning downwind, I, I mean, I got a canopy. So I got no no covering over top of me. I can see, you know, very, very good visual. Nobody was on the radio, but I see the shadow of an airplane going over the water and my heart just sunk. And I'm like, where is this thing? And I looked everywhere and it wasn't until he passed my three o'clock that I actually saw him. 
and he was within 300 feet of the pattern altitude, not talking to anybody. And honestly, if in this case, for instance, with the ADSB, I would have known before even taken off that that aircraft was there. And, and I was broadcasting on radio. I was within the pattern of an airport broadcasting my intention. And what caught my eye was the shadow of a, what looked to be like a high wing Cessna style airplane, just because I could see the, the square shape of the, or the rectangular shape of the wings. And still that guy, never, why I say that guy, that person uh, never talked on the radio the whole time. So that would be an, an instance where, yeah, the ADSB would have helped. You um you do a lot of military flying, and in the military, I'm guessing that kind of uh, equipment exists and has existed for a while. Is some kind of uh, software or display that broadcasts the whole environment? Is that true? Well, you we might not be able to talk about it. No, no, no. It's, we have a radar, so my radar is basically effectively the same thing as what you know your terminal controller is looking at. I have my radar that has a certain azimuth and elevation that I can move. And uh, it, we have also interrogators. So the same thing as what uh, the air traffic controller is able to 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 check, because if if I want to intercept somebody, let's say in the Vancouver area, and there's like you know hundreds of tracks there, it's very difficult for me to see which one is who, and then my cursor is going to be moving all over the place. So there's. There's equipment that we can have that we can interrogate a specific code, and then it cleans up it cleans up the the entire picture except that one person that's um, that's squawking that code. That that's on the interrogator side, but we also have a radar like any fighter uh, aircraft, modern air uh, fighters, and it's basically just you know uh, raw energy that we're sending and then it's pinging off the aircraft coming back to me and i'm seeing some raw hits from that target so we can maneuver our radar to look different location both in azimuth and elevation uh so um it, it's not so much of a t-cast per se but it's got its own onboard radar so we don't need that do you have some kind of uh digital battlefield management system that like broadcasts the whole situation well actually so we called it the situation awareness page so we call it an essay page yeah and uh, what we have is is a data link that's broadcasted between all the players so we have uh either within all the friendlies in the air and also the um the the friendlies on the ground are all within one data link system think of it as a an internet network, and we're able to broadcast everything that we see to the other aircraft, and the same thing when they what they see uh, to us. So that that increases uh, the situation awareness, and that's why we call it the essay page. And it's a god's eye view. Think of your uh, your HSI, so your horizontal uh, situation indicator, a god's eye view. But now you have all the targets. Uh, or the friendlies lit up they yeah right on top of it right so that would kind of that would give you the whole picture including where the tankers are um where where the rest of your formation is that kind of thing right Absolutely. and who not to shoot well exactly no i i 100 agree and to a certain extent 
the ADSB does provide you that that uh, same thing. Of that kind of information because when you're thinking of the the ground radar that's that's from the air traffic controller, it's feeding that information through the ADSB. So yeah, it's it's a cheap man's version of uh, of what we have. If you want to increase your SA, right? That makes sense. Do you use any civilian equipment in that airplane, or is it all military hardware? Uh, I use an iPad. <laughs> really? <laughs> four flight? Well, yeah, four flight. Uh, the military now has four flight and iPads. You got to remember, like for for the alert facility, uh, the F eighteen, we cover from uh, from the west coast, so BC, all the way to the uh, western side of Ontario, all the way to the uh, the Atlantic. And all the northern states. So you talk about North Dakota, uh, Montana, Idaho, Washington. So imagine the amount of publication I need to carry in my airplane that I could be at any moment given in time having to go that location. So I need, you know, like approach plate from Washington. I need approach plates from North Dakota. I need approach plate, all the approach plates from BC, Prairies, Ontario, all the way to Inuvik. So the iPad, I touch a page now and I got it all. How did it work before iPads existed? You just carry all these approach plates in some like locker? I have like an armrest of publication. What was that like having to find the right publication? Like amongst like 20 or 30 of them and then find the right page. That that is why. Have you never realized that those little booklets have like three bars on top or four bars? Yeah. That's exactly what they're for. You go, you look down, you go like, oh, I need the three bar one because it's the prairies or oh, prairies. I think it's four, but uh, yeah, that's how you get to know them. But yeah, the the iPad has been a huge um, uh, improvement for us, both because of the the reduction of weight, the increased uh, size, you know, available within the cockpit. Uh, but even uh, if we do some intercepts, we can take some pictures with the with the iPad. <laughs> and well, well we need that and then uh, and also the the essay dot you know to be able to show to show uh, when you're flying where you are reference that you know that routing or the approach plate that that increases your essay also do you navigate off the ipad or do you navigate off the 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 airplane systems no we have uh, we have a full functioning fms system that's been designed and built based basically on a uh, uh, an, a uh, Challenger 604. Uh, so it's it's almost the same nomenclature as far as the colors, you know, the magenta, the cyan, green, the yellows. Uh, all the different fields are all the same. It's it, it increased the, uh, the the capability navigation wise of the F-18 uh, a great amount. And actually, the F-18 was the first fighter in the world to have a full functioning FMS. Uh, now all the, 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 the other fighters are all getting on board with it now. Is it, so when you, so when you navigate, you just dial in which, where you want to go and then, and then it draws the pink line kind of thing, like a Garmin yeah. or yeah. you yeah. enter in like the, loca- the coordinates on the INS system or how's it work? No. So we, so we have a, uh, well, we have an EGI, so it's a, it's a combined GPS INS and, uh, on, so our GPS itself is, uh, uh, or the EGI, uh, our kit, the FMS is an MSO one uh, one forty five versus most of the GPS unit out there that you have. They're either 
a TSO-145 or a TSO-129. So if you recall the TSO-129, it's more of the older generation GPS, which uh, which you needed to do the rain prediction if you went somewhere, mm-hmm. versus the uh, TSO-145 has uh, rain monitoring um, and, and has the WASP capability. So any of the any of the TSO-145 has WASP. So uh, if you understand the WASP principle, it's basically a satellite-based... Uh, um, uh, it's more sp- accurate GPS. Yeah, it's it basically... It, it, it has ground-based station that knows the errors of that location, and it feeds that to your GPS. Right. Um, now, the, the F-18 works a little bit differently. We have two different signals. One signal to tell us our position... Um, and then the other signal to be able to calculate the different, you know, errors based on, on ionos, um, you know, uh, time errors or ionospheric errors or, or, you know, things that can affect the signal, weather and so on. Uh, and then basically when it comes back, it gives us that error correction. So we, we don't have a WASP capable unit, but we have an equivalent, which gives us the ability to still do uh, L nav approach and so on and and fully functioning FMS. So we have, you know, you can set up a departure, a full pilot navigation departure, uh, do your en route. If you type in and it's all hotassable, so it's all, you know, on a, on a throttle uh, and stick uh, system. So basically you can put all the letters, you know, A, B, C intersection, it'll come up. We have a similar system as a normal GPS where you have a nearest function, so we have a page that we call emergency function. And at a page, we can set up different length of runway, different approach, or um, even cables. So if I say I want cable, well, obviously in Alberta, it's only going to show me Cold Lake as an airport. Yeah, but if you're in Southern California, you've got five options. Exactly. So, but that that might be something critical for a fighter. Where on the F-18, for instance, if we lose the right engine, that that uh, brings in a whole set of uh, issues where you have no more brakes, uh, no more nose steering, and uh, your emergency gear has to come down. So that's why we typically do an arrested landing on those. So having that on the emergency page and be able to go nearest cable, and then it shows me all the airports from closest to farthest, uh, that helps. So all of those systems, to me, like with the HODAS and everything, the hands-on throttle and stick, and the, the HUD and everything are designed to bring your head back out of the cockpit i i 100 agree so uh, one thing that the military does very well we we train from the beginning we know our checks by heart and uh, we don't we don't spend a great amount of time looking at the checklist when we're doing our startup when we're taxing we have very reg- regimented uh, checks um even our combat checks and so on and then when it comes to the systems, uh, you're right, the hands-on and throttle and stick system, the reason why they're there is so that you can operate most of the systems without having to bring your eyes in and push buttons. Because every time you bring your eyes in, you're trying to look out, you may now lose that target. And like I said, you lose, a, you lose sight, you lose the fight. Right, that makes sense to me. So you said you don't use a checklist at all, really, like a paper checklist? So now From we don't start up shutdown. Nope. No, we That's don't the way use. It should uh, be. So we don't use a, a checklist. We know it all by heart. But we, everything we do, even when I bought my F one rocket, 
Um, as simple as it sounds, I created my checklist based on the flow. Uh, so a flow is, is how you move about the cockpit. So the F-18 is very easy. How you go from the left to the right, you turn everything off. And then you go from right to left and you turn everything on once you've started. Um, so everything, you know, has a, a certain uh, way of doing it. Um, so, but yeah, on, on any aircraft that I've flown in the military, pretty much, you know, you need to know your checklist by heart. Now, I, the only time that the checklist is is pretty much mandatory is whenever it's an emergency procedure and it's not a mandatory bold item. So we have red pages, yellow pages. The red pages need to be known by heart. Those are memory item. Those are bold item. Yep. And once you've done those, then you revert to the yellow pages now where uh, it's either non-critical emergency or you've done the critical portion of that emergency. And now it's the follow-on actions. That's So does that philosophy then scale up into multi-engine transport or do those get more complicated than it's worth? Yeah, it's it's not my world, <laughs> but uh, I, I would say they're, you know, they have an entire crew to deal with that versus yeah. for us, we're single pilot in our aircraft. Right. So we, you know, to be more efficient and quicker, uh, we need to know these things by heart. Right. That makes sense to me. What do you think, Brian? Do you have any other questions about the F-18? No, it's, uh, it's super interesting, but uh, I, I don't really think I have any, any questions. Well, I guess... Uh, how long does it take you? You said you go all the way to, to to what North Dakota down there. How long does it take you from Cold Lake to get to North Dakota if you had to be there in like an absolute emergency? Well, you say go, intercepting up north. <laughs> yeah, you can go very fast, but uh, very fast doesn't mean you're going to go for very long. Uh, just because the faster we go, the more we burn gas. So, you know, the, the range without going into like, uh, you know, uh, into the greater details of, of, of the capabilities the the airplane will fly, you know, fairly easily about 900 miles. And then we are going to start to need gas. So if your target is beyond 900 miles, there's no points in going so super fast there because you're not going to be able to do anything there. So, you know, depending on the location where we go, we need to have air refuelers. Uh, which are great uh, extender of our uh, capabilities. And uh, so, yeah, but if I want to go from, let's say, from Cold Lake to uh, to Calgary, we're talking about somewhere around 35 minutes or so. <laughs> Pretty fast. Um, yeah, before typically, like just a typical cruising speed for us is about 480. Uh, that's 480 truer speed. That's your your normal cruise speed. Uh, and then we have a two different other speed that we can cruise at, which you know obviously increases the 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 speed, but also the fuel burn. So it's either 480, 510, 540. Those are typical uh, of the speed that we cruise at. What's that? In? Okay. So you're looking at you're looking at about point point eight six, point nine zero, and point nine three or so. Right. So and then when you take it out over the water, you can push it up even more into the into the supersonic range, right? Yeah, there's different different location where we can go uh, supersonic. There's uh, over the water west, uh, you know, there's different military airspace, but we're not going to go supersonic into uh, civilian airspace. 
um, without, you know, without due cause. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's legal either. Is it? Well, I would be legal if I have to intercept somebody and there's like an urgency to it, but, uh, I'm not going to do that if it's not required. Right. That makes sense. Is supersonic flight uh, part of your uh, training up there? Do you have to go supersonic in, in your training program? No, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Like, it's a little bit anticlimactic. Um, it's not like back in the days where the entire aircraft shakes. And uh, the F-18, I, I hate to say, but the F-18 is a slow airplane uh, compared to other fighters out there. The the Viper, the F-16, or the F-15, uh, or, or even the, the newer generation, the F-35, the F-22, are extremely fast acceleration wise. The top end is about the same, but the, uh, the acceleration is much faster. And when you go through the sound barrier, I'm not going to lie to you. It's like you're driving hundred kilometers an hour in your vehicle and suddenly you're driving 110. You didn't even look, you go, ah, I'm over, <laughs> you know? So you don't, uh, you don't typically feel it going through uh, you feel it sometimes coming through on the, on the way down because there's a little bit of a, of a tuck. Um, but it's very, very mild. And depending on the configuration that you have, you know, if you're really dirty, if you have multiple tanks or, or, or if you're clean, 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 you can pretty much just bump the nose over and you can easily, uh, you bust blow it. There. yeah. You so probably get in trouble for that. Hey, you probably get in trouble for that. Yeah. They don't get. They're not too happy about that usually. But do they know? Well, they can hear it sometimes, <laughs> especially during the winter. Uh, if it's during the winter and depending on the direction where you are, uh, the, the flight path direction that you have, uh, the sound will carry more. Uh, I don't know if you heard a helicopter during the winter or a helicopter during the summer. It just has that very crisp, loud sound during the winter. Yeah. The sound barrier during the, the winter is, is a lot, it carries further, you know, the air is more dense and uh, the boom. Yeah. So we've, we've had sonic boom here in cold Lake at night where the entire house shook. And uh, we thought initially was a, uh, an earthquake and it wasn't, it was just the, the direction of flight of that aircraft, the time of the day and so on. It just carried the way it did. Right. So it was, it was a high wavelength boom that felt more like an earthquake. Yeah. That's interesting. So that was a, uh, that, that kind of got me thinking. So with ADSB now, let's talk about the privacy and the, um, that kind of thing with it. So there's some stigma behind ADSB and some people that are somewhat against the implementation, uh, particularly in the U S cause it hasn't really affected Canada yet behind the ability to, or, or the, the privacy behind it or the lack thereof. Um, people find now that uh, other people uh, or their competitors, for example, know exactly where they are as soon as they get in their airplane. Um, I'm sure celebrities will have that problem. Other people can see where the celebrity's plane is at any time. Uh, and then also it's a lot easier for the FAA and, and uh, the police type figures out there to know when you, when you made a mistake or you buzzed your friend or something like that. What are your thoughts on that, Eric? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't seem to have a concern with it just because I look at the advantages and disadvantage. And, uh, I think, uh, honestly, we're being monitored everywhere we go. So, uh, 
you know, I go to Edmonton. I, I, it's hard for me to go to Edmonton and not get us, you know, some sort of red light ticket or speeding ticket. But is they, that right? Because <laughs> they, they have the, the, the cameras everywhere. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't seem to have a concern with it myself, but I can see some people having, you know, uh, the issue with privacy. At this time, for me, I believe I, I gain more than I lose. Uh, but I can see their concern. Well, I, I believe you can get I believe you can get around it, especially the anonymity problem by registering your airplane in somewhere like the Cayman Islands where the aircraft registry is not public domain. So that solves that problem at least. Yeah, so I'm not sure I'm gonna go and register my aircraft there for that. But uh, now there's, there's so I, I was talking about there's different things that are available within the kit and I'm not, absolutely familiar with it so my kit i have an option to go anonymous uh but i believe it's illegal for me while in the states when i'm in within a controlled environment that they've given me a squawk i cannot go anonymous but if i am within the uncontrolled airspace or within adsb airspace and i have not been given a discrete squawk i don't see the reason why i cannot use that anonymous so what the anonymous do it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, make you invisible. You're still there. But what it does is it removes the data that's attached to your aircraft. It kind of hides that as far as the information information package is being sent. That makes sense to me. Having that option available in case somebody has a situation where it may, where where they want it. But I agree with you that flying control airspace it should not be used because that's what ATC is using, right? Yeah, ultimately, let's be honest, uh, I can go on 24 radar or whatever it's called and multiple sites and I can put your aircraft registration. And if you're going through the Edmonton control area, I will see your airplane. With a mode C or with ADSB? No, no, I'm talking about with a mode C. If they've been giving you a, a discrete squawk, I'm going to see you. <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought it was only ADSB. No, no, because they they they're also they're able to provide that information through the ADSB. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, they're rebroadcasting that through their their ground stations. Uh, I don't remember if it's just within Canada or if they were doing that in the states as well. But yeah, they've been doing that here in Canada. Uh, in the states, they were actually rebroadcasting Mode C into ADSB uh, in the lead up to the uh, to the release of ADSB or the mandate of ADSB. So you have been able to get that information. So even though you just have a mode C, you're they're still rebroadcasting that. Um, now in the F-18, do you guys have ADSB in there? And what do you guys do for privacy? Obviously, you don't want people tracking your F-18s. No, so we we don't have ADSB, and uh, that is a, a point that that both military on both sides of the borders are. You know, obviously the 2020 uh, timeline for us was not something that uh, we were going to follow. Uh, but there's there's civilian companies out there that uh, that are uh, that have ADSB and they need to turn it off uh, for either for um, um, operational reasons, you know, anything that has to do with the homeland security or national security. Uh, they don't want to be broadcasting their location also. So there's there is a process within the FAA that you can apply to be able to to discrete your, uh, uh, your modes here or go anonymous and have it as a uh, permanent structure within your operation that, you know, whatever you're doing a certain type of operation, you can turn it off. 
but that's a formal request that you got to do through the FAA. Yeah, I wonder if they allow that for the highway speed check airplanes. The people that <laughs> monitor your speed, they better not. That would bother me. Yeah, now you can watch them, watch you. So yeah. when you show up on radar on your F-18, what do you use for call sign? Like we show up as CF whatever, right? What do you show up as? Uh, well, what are you we, on radar? Yeah, so every squadron had a different set of uh, call sign. You know, like uh, four nine is nightmare, uh, hitman, cougars, and there's, there's a lot of different call signs, stalkers. So we don't we don't have uh, the F eighteen doesn't use call sign like can force, uh, for instance. We use our own call sign that are associated with our units. So each unit, just like if you think of Air Canada or Speedbird or you know, North Caribou, they all have their own kind of company call signs. Um, we have the same. My company call sign is Cougar. And then each pilot within the unit has its own um, call sign. They gave me Cougar 3-3 just because for a French guy saying 3-3 is just tough. Tree <laughs> <So>. tree. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. Well, Brian, what do you think? Should we wrap it up about there? Yeah, that's uh, good. We've got about an hour behind us here, and uh, it's been great talking to you, Eric. Uh, it's uh, really interesting hearing about uh, the F-18s and how all those operate. A uh, pleasure. And we even talked about ADSB and beautiful panels. Yeah, yeah. Well, we really appreciate your input on that kind of thing. It's good to hear uh, from somebody who's recently upgraded what it felt like. You know, uh, it's funny because, I I mean, I'm flying the F-18 and, and also being you know, uh, an active general aviation, uh, pilot, I, I can tell you that, uh, there's a lot of general aviation people out there that don't understand the, the luxury they have. Like it's a, an incredible privilege to have to fly those airplanes. And even when I go and fly a Cessna 172, uh, or last year, I, I could not take off the smile from my face for two days after flying a Piper Cub. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, going back to the the roots of flying and everything like this is is awesome. So there's a couple of us military guys here that are active uh, general aviation pots, and uh, it's kind of nice to to go somewhere and meet uh, like minded people. I agree. Those flying those flying breakfasts that we had last year, none this year, unfortunately. Are uh, I have quite a lot of fun going there. That's good. Anyways, thank you very much. Hey, pleasure, guys. Thanks very much for everything. Thanks, Eric.